0: First Peter 5:12 through 14 which says by Silvanus a faithful brother as I regard him I have written briefly to you exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God stand firm in it she who is Babylon who is likewise chosen sends you greetings and so does mark my son greet one another with a kiss of love peace to all of you who are in Christ all right, so hey, if you guys are are, are new here this morning or tuning in on our live stream for the first time, uh, first of all, welcome. Uh, my name is Chris, I'm a pastor here, and it um, might be helpful for you to know that we've been working our way through uh, the small but mighty, I like to call it, book of First Peter. We've been working through it verse by verse, and today we sort of tie a bow on the whole thing and look at the closing remarks. Just the last Three verses, kind of where Peter signs off. Uh, this has been like a great teaching series for me. It's been good for my heart. I hope it has been for you. Like, I'm gonna really miss this book. Uh, but what we're gonna do is sort of do an overview of the mega themes in First Peter through the lens of these last three verses. So let me pray for us, uh, and then we'll get to work. Father, thank you that, Every person here matters. We pray that you would teach us by your word, that you would empower us by your spirit to live for your glory in our suffering and adversity and for the good of others. Would you open the eyes of our hearts to see all that is good, all that is true, all that is beautiful in our text this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So again, we've been looking at the book of 1 Peter in a series that we're calling Resilient Hope in a Restless World. And we've called it that because Peter's primary audience that he was writing to were this group of Christians spread throughout the ancient Near East, what we would consider modern-day Turkey. So in that region, there was a group of Christians spread out that were going through suffering and adversity. This is the hard stuff of life. Not hard things in the world out there, but like, right here in the trenches of everyday life. And some of you, when I'm saying that, you're thinking yes and amen right now. Because you know what it's like to have a hard day. You know what it's like to suffer hardship, spiritual hardship, emotional hardship, financial hardship, physical hardship, situational hardship. Last week, I shared with, uh, with you guys some of my own uh, personal struggles that I've been battling over the last few years, probably the most vulnerable sermon that I've ever given, just to let you know that, that, that I get it. I get it. Life is sometimes hard, and the question is not, how, to get at, how do I now get away from these hard things, but how then should I face them, face them as a, as a follower of Jesus? Because there's no way to avoid Hard things in this world. There's no way to avoid what we might call restlessness in this world. It's just a reality of our human existence. And that's because we do live in a world that is, is broken and fallen. When sin entered history, which we read about in Genesis chapter 3, it was sort of woven into the fabric of the universe. And now, The whole world does not operate the way that it was intended to. That's why we have death and despair. That's why we have plagues and pandemics. That's why there's pride in relationships, strife in our families, corruption in governments, and even in churches. Because everything has somehow been stained by what theologians call the fall. Humanity's fall into sin, and God has called us who live in the here and now as followers of him, he has called us to live in this broken world. And that is not a mistake on his part. That's not poor planning on his part. It's actually part of his sovereign plan. God meant for you and I to live in this broken world so that your life, so that my life would be a testimony of amazing grace at work. where you become a part of God's sovereign work as he begins to restore and renew this broken world and reach other restless people by our witness? We closed the sermon last week with a quote from Augustine when he when he prayed almighty god you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you and i think that quote really sums up what we've been getting at throughout the book of first peter you see that's a summary of first peter first peter has been all about how to live with resilient hope resilient hope in a world where there is suffering adversity restlessness, and because Peter is like a good pastor, he spends the entirety of his letter getting us unstuck from wallowing in our suffering towards seizing it. Seizing it so that we get caught up in what God is doing through our suffering to where we're able to say, look, this is hard, but I'll take it. This is hard, but I'll take it so that my life can be a beacon of hope. If I can be just an instrument of grace in the hands of Jesus, if I can grow closer to Jesus and help others know him better through my suffering, then I'll take it. That's been the overarching theme of 1 Peter. And so now that brings us to our closing verses of the passage. Read it with me. 1 Peter chapter 5 beginning in verse 12 to the end, verse 14. Peter says, by Silvanus, a faithful brother, really quick, Silvanus is probably like Peter's scribe and courier. Like he's the one who would deliver Peter's message to the churches at this time on his behalf. And so Peter's just expressing thanks for him. He's like, hey, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm sending this note to you, this letter of encouragement to you by my brother Silvanus, faithful brother. And then he says, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this, in other words, everything that I've been talking about is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon who is likewise chosen sends you greetings. Now, quickly on this part, when he says she who is at Babylon, what he's talking about is the church in Rome. A lot of times when, when uh, 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 biblical writers would refer to a church, uh, they'd refer to them in sort of like the feminine plural right? Uh, Or the feminine singular. So she who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. He's talking about the church in Rome because the tradition throughout the Old Testament prophets was that Babylon was sort of this picture, this archetype for every corrupt nation, We read that in like, for example, later on in Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 50, 51, uh, you you hear this reference to Babylon talking about every corrupt nation. And now in the first century, Rome is kind of considered like the new Babylon, right? Its empire is where God's people were exiled from their true form, from their true home, rather. Uh, The home that they, this future renewed creation that they looked forward to. And so Peter says, she who is at Babylon, in other words, the church in Rome, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, my son. Mark is Peter's protege, sort of an apprentice in the ministry. He was like a son to him. And in verse 14, he says, greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Now, in these closing remarks, in these final three verses, Peter touches on some of the overriding themes that he's, been, uh, that he's been going at again and again throughout his letter. We're gonna take a look at each of them. The first major theme we see is the grace of God. The grace of God. Read verse 12 again with me. Peter says, I've written briefly to you. This is halfway through verse 12. I've written briefly to you, exhorting, and declaring that this, everything I've been writing about, this is the true grace of God, stand firm in it. So Peter says, look, all that I've written to you is all about the amazing grace of God. You are objects of his grace. The, res- the, reason, the reason that you can have resilient hope in a restless world is because you are marked and set apart by the sovereign grace of God. This grace is the reason that you can have hope. This grace is the reason you get up every morning. This grace is the reason you can have courage to face the enemy. It's the reason for all hope and all peace in the middle of your suffering. It is all by his grace. And notice he says, stand firm in it. Stand firm in it, stand firm in this grace. Now, what does that tell us? That tells us that this is a grace that is for the here and the now. It's grace for here and now. Sure, in chapter one, Peter mentions the grace for our past and the forgiveness of sins. And he also makes mention of the future grace of our home in heaven. But what Peter wants to leave us with In these last few verses, is the truth that there is grace for each and every single day. There is grace for each and every single day, grace for every circumstance, and grace for every struggle. Let me ask do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that this morning? that when you're feeling lonely at night or maybe restless during the day in in the middle of a pandemic, do you believe that you can claim for yourself there is grace for this moment? When you're fighting the temptation to sin and the enemy's whispering in your ear, did God really say that? Will the consequences really be that bad? You can say, there's grace for the battle. Christ is with me and for me. And when you go to see coworkers or neighbors that don't always receive you well, maybe mock you for your faith, do you know that you can say, I'm not alone. I have grace for this moment too. Or when you've actually given in to sin and you've blown it again, maybe lost your temper or lusting in your heart and the enemy starts whispering, hey, where's your God now? Where's your God now? And then you say, there's grace for my guilt and my shame. I don't have the strength, but I have the Savior, and his grace is strong. It is all by grace. The Christian life is all by grace. If you flip the page back and skim through 1 Peter again, you'll see the present and powerful grace of God everywhere, saturating the whole book. In chapter one, we saw the grace of sanctification growing into the image of Christ through what 1 Peter chapter one calls, uh, uh, refers to as like the refiner's fire. In chapter two, we saw the grace of a new identity in Christ that we're a chosen race, a holy priesthood a people for God's own possession. In chapter three, we read about grace for daily living, grace for the daily situations we find ourselves, particularly with people where it's hard for us to find grace in those moments. Our relationships with others, specifically relationships that cause impatience and frustration, relationships in our family. Relationships with co-workers, relationships with the government. In chapter 5, we saw grace that's available, or in chapter 4, rather, we saw that there's grace for seasons of suffering and persecution that were never without God's presence in those moments. In chapter 5, then, the beginning of chapter 5, we see that there's grace in the church. That God by His grace, His His called and appointed, humble leadership to guide and to protect us. And that there's grace in spiritual warfare against an enemy who seeks to destroy us. It's grace in every paragraph of every page of Peter's letter. Now do you live in light of that grace? do you live in light of his grace? Does his grace make you brave and courageous? Does it calm your fears? Do you understand that the greatest need that you have, the greatest, deepest, most significant need that you have is to be reconciled with God, your maker for the rebellion that was in your heart and is in your heart. And that that, work, that greatest need was already met, already freely given and paid for by the blood of Jesus. And if he, if God is willing to keep you from eternal dangers like that, he'll be with you. He'll be all the more with you in your daily struggles. If he's willing to meet us in our greatest and deepest need, which, which, which came at the greatest cost, how much more? Would he be there for us in our daily needs? Or as Paul puts it in Romans 8, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will He not also with him graciously give us all things? That, by the way, is why we just sang through many dangers, toils, and snares, we have already come. "'Twas grace that brought us safe thus far and grace will lead us home. There's an exhortation from this part of verse 12 that I wanna leave you with as, as your pastor. Sort of like maybe final words of encouragement and exhortation that I wanna leave with you guys to take from 1 Peter. I want to encourage you to endure by the grace of God. Endure by the grace of God. You can not endure by your own strength. You can not endure by your own might. Endure by the grace of God. That is in every paragraph of every page of 1 Peter. The second theme we see in Peter's closing remarks is the family of faith. The family of faith. Go down to verse 14 now, where Peter says, greet one another with the kiss of love. Now, what is he getting out here? Is Peter getting spicy, right? Is he trying to turn the spice up at the churches throughout the dispersion? Like Some of the single people in this room are thinking, we should bring that back, right? I remember when I was like my college ministry days, thinking, when are they going to preach that verse? What is it that Peter means when he says, greet one another with the kiss of love? Because in that day, in that day, a kiss on the cheek was sort of this platonic way for good friends to greet each other in a way that expressed your camaraderie and your love for one another, your unity with one another. That's what made Judas's betrayal so scandalous that he betrayed Jesus with a kiss on the cheek. You see, in our day, some people still greet one another with a kiss. For example, if you're like from a Latin country or France uh, or Italy or countries like that, a kiss on the cheek is still common for close friends. That's why you see like in these mobster movies, they're always kissing each other, right? They're kissing each other and they turn and they like blow up the enemy. But in American culture today, that's usually the kind of greeting that you see only within a family context, like between a husband and wife, between kids and grandparents. Usually like, shaking hands uh, or, 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 or exchanging hugs and embrace is how we greet one another in love today. And that's the big idea that Peter's getting at when he says greet one another with a kiss of love. Peter's teaching that Christians are to be friends with one another, friends with one another in the true sense of that word and greet one another in love the bigger idea that he's getting at is that at the foot of the cross, we are a united family of faith. That theme, that theme for family of faith has rich roots throughout the Old Testament. When the world was without hope, God chose a man named Abraham And in Genesis 15, he says, look towards the heavens, count the stars if you can, and that is how many descendants you'll have. Through him, those descendants would become the Jewish people. A couple chapters later, he says, you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. So it's not just the Jewish people, but all those that would come to believe in Abraham's God through the spreading of, uh, of Abraham's uh, family. And he says, through your descendants, the world will be blessed. It's this family of faith language throughout the Old Testament. And the old, old Testament, from that point on, as this family grows into a larger people, that people gets redeemed from slavery in the book of Exodus, which if you're going through our, our, our daily reading plan as a church, we went through a couple months ago. And then you and then they and then they journeyed through the wilderness for a while they eventually became a nation under moses and a kingdom under david with elders and temples and priests these descendants of abraham just as the old testament story unfolds these descendants of abraham were a family a family of faith and a kingdom that anticipated the fully inaugurated kingdom that would, that would arrive at the coming of Jesus Christ. Now, why is that relevant? Why do I mention these things? Nerd out with me for a moment. It's because when Peter is writing his letter, when he's writing 1 Peter, he's writing to Gentile Christians. In other words, he's writing the Christians that don't have the Jewish heritage that Peter himself had as a descendant of Abraham. And he starts to take all these Old Testament images about the family of Abraham, and he starts applying them to the Gentile church to show them that, hey, you're part of the same promise that God gave to Abraham. You're part of the same family of faith that, that I was born into. In the beginning of 1 Peter chapter 1, he talked about how there are God's people journeying through the wilderness, Elect exiles, he calls them. At the end of chapter one, he says that they've been redeemed by the precious blood of a lamb, giving imagery of the exodus. He says like a spotless lamb, speaking of Jesus. And then he talks about how they are people of a new covenant with the word of God in their hearts. And then in chapter 2, he says they are part of a living temple. First Peter chapter 2, he calls them a living temple, not made out of stones like the Old Testament temple, but they're united together as a body of Christ to have the same role as the old temple. Now is the body of Christ. Now is the church to have the same role as that Old Testament temple to be filled with the presence of God and to be a light of hope to the world. And then he says, we are a kingdom of priests, a royal priesthood who stand in the gap between God and those who need salvation, just like the Old Testament high priest. You see, in the deepest... In the truest, in the most transcendent, just significant parts of that word, the church is a family. The church is a family of faith. And the roots that you share with God's family run deeper and stretch further than even your biological family. So when he says, greet one another with the kiss of love, his point is, let the church community be a true family for you. Let it be a true family for you where grace and love are on rich display. Life in a world that is broken and a world that is fallen is hard. Amen? It's hard. Going through the refining fire of sanctification, where God is, is, is chipping away the, the, the nasty parts of your character to make you look more like Jesus when we go through that, which he t- Peter talked about in First Peter chapter one, that's hard. Being persecuted and rejected for your faith. that's hard. Being tempted by the enemy is hard. And so we should have grace and love for one another. Where when we greet one another, we know there's genuine love there. Because man, we need that love. God extends love to his children through other children. I was talking to some members of our church recently about how uh, sort of taken aback they were when they ran into uh, this guy from this, our church that they, they sort of barely knew. And uh, he was driving by them and he saw them. He wasn't expecting to see him. So he like pumped on his brakes, rolled down his window, talked to them for maybe like 15, 20 seconds. Uh, and again, they barely knew this guy, but he starts talking to them, asking them how they're doing. And before he left, he's like, all right, see you later, guys. Love you. And then drove away. And, and they were saying how, like, it just struck them. Because that's so not normal to say love you like that to someone you barely know. Like, outside of the church, that's not normal. But they, they were saying what was weirder to them is that even though they were taken aback at first, the more they thought about it, they're like, I think he actually means it. I think he actually means that. that he he loves us. Man, I I want us to be more like that. We're not ashamed to put our love for one another on display. And so here's my second exhortation for you from 1 Peter. Engage with this family. Engage with the family of faith. You can't coast it, you have to engage. You can't do it on your own, you engage with the family. I think we really struggle with this in, in our American flavor of Christianity. Because there's this sort of American bent in, in, to our, our Christianity here in the West uh, towards individualism that you don't see in the scriptures and you don't see in church history or even in other cultures today, you don't see uh, this type of individualism in in other cultures where there's Christian churches today. But in our culture, there's this overarching focus on self. I'm gonna live out my faith in a way that makes sense for me, in a way that's comfortable for me, in a way that's best for my family. I love the way that Joseph Hellerman, a professor up at Biola, challenges us in this. In his great little book called When Church Was a Family, he says, we've fallen for an American Christian paradigm that understands salvation to have everything to do with how the individual relates to God and nothing to do with how we relate to one another. In our typical gospel presentations, we introduce God's family only as sort of a utilitarian afterthought. Church is just there to help us, to help me grow in our newfound faith in Christ. But he warns when we do that, we've removed from the gospel what the Bible views as central to the sanctification process, namely commitment to God's group, commitment to God's family of faith. And so let me ask you, are you you looking for opportunities to express Christian love to those people that God has placed in your path? Are you actively engaging? Are you actively looking for opportunities to express Christian love to those people God places in your path, to those you go to church with, if you're in a home group, to those that you've been joined in a group with? Are you looking for ways to express love to those people? See, every day, every day, you have an opportunity to bless someone in the family of faith, to encourage someone in the family of faith, to text them, to pray for them. And look, if you're, a member of this church, now I'm not talking to you right now specifically if you're a visitor or you're just kind of just been checking this out either for the first time or for the last couple of months, but if this is your church family, if you consider King's Cross Church your church home, then I, I need you to hear me on this. No one, no one should ever leave a gathering of this church and feel unloved. No one should ever leave our Sunday gathering. No one should ever leave a home group gathering and feel unloved. So my encouragement to you, again, if this is your church home, man, meet someone that you don't know after the service today. Meet them. Pray for them. Maybe invite them over. Invite them out to some place that is open out right now. Here's the third, the third theme that Paul has for us in his closing remarks. We see the peace that we have in Christ. Peace in Christ. Look again at verse 14. These are his final words in the entire epistle. He says, peace, To all of you who are in Christ. Those are his closing words. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Where do we find peace? Where do we find real peace, lasting peace, the peace that we need in our restless world? In Christ. In Christ. I want you to remember that Peter's primary audience was struggling because their new life in Christ caused like their non-Christian family, friends, and neighbors to consider them sort of strange, which led to all kinds of hardship, all kinds of social strains. Moreover, the fact that they are Christians longing for a renewed and restored world, but living with the effects of a broken world, makes living in this fallen world hard too. And so what do those moments feel like? What do those moments feel like when you're being judged for your faith, mocked for it, or when you're going through just the hard things that come with a broken world? What does that feel like? It feels feels restless, right? It feels restless. Living as a stranger, an outcast, can be discouraging. And so where did Peter turn their attention to? To provide peace in these restless times, Peter focused his, their attention from the painful realities of our daily lives onto our personal relationship with our Savior God. Away from our painful realities of our daily lives and onto our personal relationship with our Savior God. It's not that the painful realities don't matter. It's not that we pretend them away, but it's that our personal relationship with our Savior God should overshadow them. Over our lives, there is a good and powerful God who uses all the hard things that we go through to make us look more like Jesus. This life is not the ultimate reality that we were made for, created for. This life is just a rehearsal. This life is just preparation preparation for our eternal life in a kingdom where we live out our deepest desires and where we're rewarded for our faithfulness in the here and now. This view, this we could call worldview, this uniquely Christian view of reality helps us find peace and purpose in every circumstance. It gives us strength to press on as we, as we walk in the ways of Jesus towards our forever home. Do you know what it means to be in Christ? If you're a Christian this morning, I understand that some people who visit our church and who stream online are not Christians. And I love that about our church. We want this to be a place where you have the safety, the time and the grace that you need to get your honest answers qu- or honest questions answered with uh, real answers from the scriptures. but do you know if you're a Christian who you truly are? Do you know what it means to be in Christ what it means to be a part of his church to be a Christian. It's not a social club. It's not a voting block. It's not a phase that you go through. It's a whole new reality, a whole new identity. You have been given a new identity in Christ if you're a follower of Jesus. And so that means we're not people trying to simply work our way through a broken world or what Tom Waits calls rain dogs trying to find our way home but the rain has washed the scent of home away. No, God has taken us by his mighty hand. He's captured our rebellious hearts. He's wooed us with his perfect unending love. And he said, you are mine. You're mine. You're mine and I will never let you go. I won't lose you to sin. I won't lose you to Satan. I won't lose you to your suffering. You belong to me and I will love you and I will protect you to the very, very end. That's the message of First Peter. That's the message, it's the message that every restless whole soul longs to hear. That there is resilient hope for our restless hearts. That in Christ, we belong and are safe in God. On the first Palm Sunday, This is Palm Sunday, by the way. But on the first Palm Sunday, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey. The whole city, the whole city was gathered in excitement, gathered in anticipation. Lots of people were there because this was the Passover week when people would ride into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover feast to celebrate the time where their forefathers were were redeemed, were saved from slavery in Egypt in the Exodus story, to celebrate the Exodus of God's people from celebration, to celebrate the peace that came at that moment. And when the whole city in Jerusalem, they were laying down their jackets and they were spreading down palm branches when Jesus rode into town which is something that you only did for royalty. It's something that you only did for a king. And the crowd starts singing and they start shouting out, Hosanna, Hosanna, which is a a word of worship, a word of praise, which means salvation is here. And in ways that, we couldn't, that, that they could not even begin to fathom, at that moment, salvation truly came. Salvation truly was here in history because Jesus is the savior king, the king who would go to great cost to bring the hope and freedom and peace that every Passover before had pointed to. It was a salvation that liberated them from far more than Egypt's hand of slavery or Rome's hand of persecution. But it was a salvation that for all Christians throughout redemptive history would meet their gravest need, their deepest need, liberating them from evil, sin, and death itself, bringing us back to God. Do you have peace in that gospel this morning? Do you want to have resilient hope in a restless world? Man, if you want to have resilient hope in a restless world, then my first question for you is, are you in Christ? Are you in Christ, the Savior King? Not in morality, where you're resting in how good you are, not in spirituality where you're resting in your own personal experiences, not even in religion where you're resting in your uh, church-flavored self-righteousness, but you're resting in Christ and in Christ alone. Rest in him as your Lord, as your Savior, as your King. He's the God who humbled himself in the form of a baby, lived the life that we could never live, a perfect righteous life, died the death that we deserve to die as a payment for sin, and rose in triumphant victory to give us a victory that we have not earned. And in that victory, in his victory, we have peace. So here's my third and final word for you from the book of First Peter. Simply enjoy the peace of Christ. Enjoy the peace of Christ. Do you want to live with peace in our fallen world? Then stand firm in God's grace. Love and lean into the family of faith. Love the fact that you're loved by God and have the opportunity to share that love with others. And then resting in God's grace, standing in his grace, and leaning into his family, you will rest in his sovereignty. Rest in his wisdom. Rest in the gift of his peace. Maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, man, I don't know that. I don't know that peace. I don't know that grace. I don't know that love. Maybe you're streaming online and you're thinking that. Like, I don't, I don't know that peace, that grace, that love. If, if that's you this, did I say morning? (laughs) If that's you this afternoon, let us plead with you. Cry out for the grace of the Savior today. Pray, Pray something like, God, I don't know your grace. I don't know your grace and I don't know your peace. I don't know the love of the church. And so God, just Would you forgive me? Would you forgive me for trying to make sense of this all on my own? Save me and draw me near to your heart. The Bible says that when we pray prayers like that, God will not only forgive you, but he will never turn his back on you. He will never turn his back on you. So for all of us this afternoon, Let us endure with his grace, engage someone with Christian love, and enjoy rest in his peace. Amen. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.